Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. Well, good morning, Harvest, and open your Bibles to Matthew 14. Matthew 14, we're midway through our series through the book of Matthew. We're halfway. Yeah. And uh, that wasn't all that exciting sounding there. Um, I'll take that. You're sad. We're halfway. We're that far. Um, last Sunday, we were chapter 13. Uh, Jesus was giving eight parables. All of them were about depicting aspects of the kingdom of heaven and uh, learning about that. Today, we're going to meet uh, kind of two kings, and they're in contrast. Uh, the gospel, Jesus Christ is one of them, um, and he's going to be contrasted with Herod. Uh, Herod, the Tetrarch, Herod Antipas, was a life taker, a life taker. We're going to see in the text that Jesus is a compassion, a kingdom compassion giver, and we're going to be uh, learning from them today. I have to tell you, there are times to where you uh, teach on things, and you're like, oh man, I'm teaching on something, Frank, I'm not all that good at. So uh, here we go, uh, teaching on compassion, and uh, uh, we're going to see Jesus. And so it's so one of those things, I don't want today to be like one of those guilt days, like one of those, you know what, we really stink at compassion. Uh, I really want today to be one of those kinds of days where maybe you're like me, maybe sometimes your schedule or just uh, the things that you have kind of gets in front of you, and having kingdom compassion and eyes to see what's going on around you, sometimes you're not as strong. And if that's the case, join me today, because I think this text is going to help us. We're going to work through the text. At the end, I'm going to kind of pull it together with some some aspects uh, for us to grow as kingdom compassion individuals and as a kingdom compassion people. So I want to begin last Sunday actually putting chapter 13 back up on the center screen. If you're new, I usually don't do this, but I I am for like two weeks. Um, So we got chapter 13 there, and uh, that's what we covered is a kingdom of heaven, eight parables all taking on. Let's add on the side screens chapter 14. Uh, It's the same font, and uh, there's two things I want for us to see out of the text just by looking at it. Uh, One is chapter 14 is half as long. Uh, That's good. That's good for me. That's good for you. Last Sunday, we took 58 verses in 42 and a half minutes, and uh, it was full. Uh, The second thing, besides the length that you can see, is chapter 13 is all red. Remember that last Sunday? It's the red letters are Jesus speaking. Then when you look at the side screen, you see chapter 14. There's only a few sentences of red letters. That means chapter 14 is a chapter of activity. So when you look, if you have a red letter edition Bible, when you look at it and you see it's, it's all black, the text is all black in there, you know it's activity, activity. Last Sunday was a whole lot of Jesus talking and teaching. And so uh, that kind of gives you a little bit of ground for where we're going on. We went from a 
teaching or Jesus teaching Sunday last Sunday to a Jesus doing uh, Sunday this Sunday. So let's kind of redo the slides here, kind of get your uh, brain wrapped around this. All right, so I've got chapter 14 up on the side screens. I'm going to use it here in just a little bit. I'm also going to use it at the very end. That's why I'm keeping it up. I made the font larger so you can see the whole text if you want to follow along there. Otherwise, uh, Bible's open, chapter 14. Ready to go? Here we go, verses one and two, let's begin with the text. Uh, God, show yourself great. Here we go, chapter 14, verse one. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, uh, Herod the Tetrarch did, uh, this is Herod Antipas, he, he said, uh, this is uh, John, or he, he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist, referring to what he's thinking Jesus is. Uh, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. All right, I love these opening uh, couple verses for two reasons. One, we learn about a new character that we have not met yet in the book of Matthew. You may be familiar that in chapter two we met a Herod. That Herod in chapter two was King Herod who was this Herod's father. Okay, King Herod, uh, Herod Antipas, or Herod the Tetrarch, uh, his dad, King Herod, was the one who issued the decree that all the children under two years and under be killed in the region of Bethlehem because the, he was trying, his dad was trying to kill baby Jesus. That's his dad. Yeah, not a great guy. And I could go on and tell more about him, but he was just not a great guy. Uh, but I will add this. His dad had two of his sons, i.e. his Herod the Tetrarch's brothers or stepbrothers, had two of them killed. So it's like, uh, that's why back in the day, it was said in the town, better to be one of King Herod's pigs than one of his sons. This is one of his sons. So King Herod died uh, shortly after uh, uh, Jesus' infancy. This Herod is now a Tetrarch. He is not a king, he is a governor. And that's because King Herod, when he died, by the way, when he died, he had a whole bunch of nobles in the territories murdered. And he had them murdered at his own death because King Herod was afraid everyone would celebrate his death. And so he killed nobles in all throughout the area so that people would actually be weeping when he died instead of cheering. Oh, this is like messed up. Gives you hope, doesn't it? For what's going on in our world. Okay, so uh, Herod the Tetrarch, he, then when Herod died, he sectored out the areas to his sons. Herod the Tetrarch is over Galilee and Perea. This is the main area where Jesus and John, John the Baptist, were doing ministry. We're going to meet Herod the Tetrarch later on when Jesus... Uh, is going to the cross through the crucifixion, or leading up to the crucifixion, this is the Herod that he goes to, okay? So, so Matthew is getting him on, this, on the scene, we're meeting this Herod, and I'm gonna say he's a king, but I do that in air quotes. Not an air guitar, but air quotes, I do that in, and this is a king because uh, he loved to be called a king. 
but he wasn't a king. He was actually a governor of a territory. By the way, history tells that that was very common in that day. Uh, governors and, and people in that like to call themselves kings because they thought they were kings in their territory even though they technically weren't. And before we get too self-righteous, there's an application here. We all tend to think of ourselves as kings and queens of our own little territory, don't we? Yeah, we do. And uh, so he's doing the same here. So we meet him. I'm calling him a facade king because he loves to think of himself as a king even though he really isn't. Well, there's a couple things we learn in these first two verses about Herod the Tetrarch. I love some of his thinking in this because we learn about it. He hears that Jesus' fame is getting very big in his area uh, of governing. And so when he hears about this and he hears about the miraculous things that Jesus is doing, he is thinking in his own theological world a few things. He's thinking, one, that there is an afterlife, He's thinking, too, that in that afterlife, someone can come back, John, and he's also thinking in this that supernatural powers can be done through human beings. There's some interesting things going on in Herod that I kind of give him some credit for that I actually think becomes important later on when Jesus meets him before going to the cross. So here's this dude, messed up family. He thinks he's a king. He's really not a king. Uh, He's thinking these things about Jesus. He doesn't understand who Jesus is, and he's trying to figure out. And then we have verses 3 through 4. Now, let me explain. Verses 1 through 2 tell us about the present time. Verses 3 through uh, 10 through 12 are let's go to that next screen uh, are they are flashback verses all right so and it's important for what's going to come here in a little bit we just learned that Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus and now we're going to go back in some history to learn about John because he thinks Jesus is John raised from the dead here we go verse 3 For Herod had seized John, bound him, put him in prison. This is a while ago. This isn't at the time of the text. Put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, i.e. who is now his wife, i.e. which means his sister-in-law became his wife. I'm doing a lot of i.e.s, but creepy. Okay? Verse 4. Because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. John John is confronting the governor about his immoral condition. In that day, a dude that did that would likely be put in jail or killed. I'm telling you, John is a stud of a prophet. And when he was telling the governor, you shouldn't be doing that. Well, let's say the governor didn't appreciate that, nor did his wife. Look at the text. It's not law for you to have her, verse 5, and though he wanted, though Herod the Tetrarch wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, got it? So on the scene, it's Herod's birthday. The daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. By the way, his daughter is probably, the princess here, is probably 12 to 14 years old, okay? 
Uh, we'll come back to this in just a second. And the king, Herod the Tetrarch, Herod Antipas, was sorry, uh, but because of the oaths and because of his guests, uh, he commanded it to be given. So, verse 10, he sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And this is happening during the party, by the way, because of how the idea flows. Verse 11, and his head was brought on a platter given to the girl, the princess, and she brought it to her mother, Herodias, and his disciples, John's, came and took the body, buried it, which was a risky endeavor in itself. Gutsy guys to do that. And they went and they told Jesus. Let me just make some comments on what's going on here. This is a scene that is so describing of the kingdom of this world. Say this again. This is such a scene that so depicts the reality of the kingdom of this world. Why do I say that? Because everyone is taking from everyone. This is all about not just taking John's life, but everyone is taking life from each other. Think through this. Herodias, the wife, uses her husband and uses her 12, 14-year-old daughter to use the situation of the guests to have John the Baptist murdered. That's the wife, sweetheart. The princess, you may say, man, bless her heart, she's stuck in the middle of it. Kind of, but hold on here, let's be real. She's culpable too. Because the princess on this is using the occasion for her dancing. We don't quite know what's going on with that whole situation. The text actually doesn't tell us what kind of dance. Was it really questionable or what? We don't quite know. But I will say this. The wisdom of this is really not good. I mean, here is your daughter, 12 to 14 year old, dancing in front of a drunken party binge. Most men. Can we all agree as parents Okay, I'm going to move on. All right, you got the picture there. Just, it's just not wise. So she's using the occasion of it. And then, and then she uses her dad in this uh, to, to have the situation take place, who, who then, by the way, we could say, yeah, but she got caught by her mom. Yeah, but listen, there's a lot of 12 to 14-year-olds here in this room. And I want to uh, confirm with you, and I, I would believe that you would at some point, even if asking your mom or your dad, what should I do? I mean, I've just been given this like lottery ticket open to me to ask for whatever I want. Mom, what should I do? And if your mom says, hey, have that person killed, I would think that you 12 to 14 year olds and it would go, uh, mom, got a problem with that. Agreed? Student Ministries Pastor Cody, would you agree? Okay? With that, that's, that's where it's like, no, we shouldn't go there. Oh, by the way, we read in the text that later, during this event, because John is probably in a prison right around where all this palace thing is happening, they probably make the decree, they go, they chop his head off right there, put it on a plate, and gives it to the daughter, and the daughter carries it to the mom, presenting it to the mom. I've just got to tell you how warped this is, even for a 12 to 14-year-old girl. So it's the mom, it's the daughter, and then, by the way, it's the guests. This is just such kingdom of our world party. Everybody's using everybody. Listen, you may not know me, but I went to the University of Minnesota, and I've seen stuff. 
Okay, I was in a dorm, uh, my roommate and I, we were believers at the time, we were trying to do some ministry in the dorm, and, and we went and we stopped in on some of the parties going on with some of our friends there and just seeing what was going on. Number one, they're boring as all get out. But they all thought it was awesome, particularly the next day after they had puked their guts out. They were talking about, oh, that was an awesome party, and I just remember going, I was there and it really wasn't fun. I mean, and in this, this is what the world does. The world uses everybody. It will use you as long as you are convenient to it. And once you are not that convenient to it, him or her, you're out. Yes? Listen, do not be fooled what's going on out there. The kingdom of this world is all about taking and you will be taken and used and cast away in a moment because that is who Satan is. And he is the prince of the power of the air of this world, Ephesians chapter 2. That's our world, friends. And it would love to take you and use you. And here we see this whole setting and this party that's going on and they're just using each other. That's what happens in our world. It's life-taking. It does that with relationships. It's about what you bring me. It's about work or money or uh, what it will bring me. Oftentimes, I think it's even soils number two and three from the parables last Sunday of of, uh, the persons who come and, and kind of see Jesus and are all about Jesus, and then after a while, they walk away. Why? Because Jesus didn't give them what they wanted from him. Even then, it's about Jesus is about what he will give me, not about, oh my word, I get to serve the king of the universe. What can I bring him? We have here in these first 12 verses the kingdom of the world that we live in right in front of us. Don't be fooled. It's all about taking life. It's all about taking people. And then we have this fantastic contrast. Jesus. We're going to meet a real king who watched what takes place here in three main events. And he is not a life taker. He is a kingdom compassion giver. Let's take a look at what happens. King Jesus. Here we go. Verse 13. Now, when Jesus heard this, Now, if you're reading through the text, you most likely will be thinking that it's referring to heard that John the Baptist was killed. That's not what it's referring to. That's why on the screens here, if we could bring up that next marker here, when when Jesus, it's actually pointing back to the first couple verses. We have all of this parenthetic excursus that kind of takes place here. You have two verses. It goes flashback, and then you have now when Jesus heard this. Heard what? When Jesus heard that Herod the Tetrarch had heard about his fame, he withdrew. By the way, this is a cool thing. If you're interested in following the chronology of Christ, understand at this point in time we are about one year away from the cross. How, how far away? One year away. And listen, Jesus was in full control of when he was going to give his life up. 
And this is one of those moments that, that we miss, that know this. Why does it say Jesus heard this? He withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Why did he do that? Because he knew that Herod, the Tetrarch, was probably going to start coming after him. So he goes and goes, tries to go quiet. I'm telling you, he is in full control of what's taking place. Now watch what happens here. This is hilarious. He goes, he withdraws to a desolate place by himself. I think this is time he's going to spend with the Father, just get away after chapter 13. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. I, do you ever have like on your calendar, on your phone, or on your schedule, do you have things where it's like, this is scheduled for like lunch, or this is scheduled for me time? I don't know if you ever do that. I would encourage more of that, just time with the Lord. And then like the audacity, someone gets in the way. Does that, you know what I'm talking about? Does that irritate you? Oh, help me, because... All right, I stand guilty. Man, I'm telling you how it is. We are just particularly in our world, in our culture. We're very much with time and things, and that's important. Listen, I'm not saying put away the calendar. I'm not doing that. I'm saying, listen, be purposed in things. There are times we have to say no to things. But I will tell you, this is one of those times. Jesus goes to withdraw, and the crowds hear about it, and they follow him on foot, verse 14. And when he went ashore, he sees a great crowd. And he's like, holy moly, you all irritate me. Is that what the text says? Look at the text. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he, I would encourage you to underline this in your Bibles, had compassion on them. I think we can just buzz through things too simply. This is one of those times where you look at a text, and when the, when the surrounding events are really important, he is aware that Herod Antipas is seeing his fame. He's like, I, I need to get away. I need to go quiet for a little bit. I need to shut down for a little bit. I need to be with the Father for a little while. I need to get away in it all. And then he goes to get away in it all, and all of a sudden the crowd shows up, and you're like, I wanted to get away. And yet in it, he doesn't get irritated with them. He is drawn by compassion for them. By the way, I'm going to say this. We tend to think worldly compassion, we view it as a feeling-generated thing first, and it's not. It's a truth-generated thing. I'll complete that here in a little while. But Jesus is looking at that from a kingdom perspective. He looks at people, even when he's trying to have some downtime, and they come in and they ruin his calendar for the moment, and he still has compassion on them. Herod and all his peeps are life-takers. Jesus is a kingdom compassion giver. It's an attribute of who he is. It defines who he is. Let's keep following it. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Now when it was evening, so some time had passed, he'd been healing their sick. That probably was not like a three-minute thing. Obviously it was taking time. The disciples came to him and said, hey, uh, Jesus, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. I don't think that the disciples are irritated by the people. I actually think that they are loving on them. 
Hey, hey, we're going to find out here in just a second. This crowd is most likely 15 to 20,000 people. And man, when people get hungry, you got a situation on your hands, right? I don't think they're just thinking of themselves in this. I think they're thinking even of them. And by the way, children would be there with their families. He's like, let's send them out to the little villages, which there wasn't much around in it. And I actually think that they're thinking of them. Jesus takes this moment and he uses it as an opportunity with his disciples. Verse 16, but Jesus said to them, uh, they, need, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. No, Jesus, we, 12 of us, we talked about it, and that wasn't the plan. Um, actually, can like, not me, you give them something. Verse 17, so they said to him, but, 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 and by the way, Matthew's version of all this is very condensed down from the other gospels and on purpose, so I'm gonna try and keep it condensed. And they said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. Uh, and he said, bring them here to me, the, the, the loaves and the fish. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, likely at spring, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looks up to heaven and said a blessing. Uh, then he broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. By the way, uh, verse 17, I have underlined my Bible, where the disciples said, we have only. Friends, we have in kingdom compassion, we have the tendency to think that it's all about our own personal asset base that meets the opportunity. Whether that's financial, whether that's skill set, whether that's knowledge. And here in this, Jesus presses back on them. Listen, uh, here, do you, we, you and I should take massive hope in this. Because at times it's like, but, but, I, I can't, but I'm not, but how? But uh, I'd rather. And yet Jesus is like, no, it's not dependent upon you. It's not dependent upon me. Listen, bring your littleness to me, and I'll do a work. Let my bigness show through your littleness. Bring them here. They sit down, verse 20. And they all ate, and they were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. Man, I wish I was there. Uh, my, my background is R&D, if you don't know me, back in my business days. And I am so curious about how things happen. I am telling you, if I was one of the disciples, I'm like, so my eyes are in the baskets as this is being handed out. Because how does something go from that to that? And then, like, I, I would be, I would, oh, I'm sorry, I just, it so intrigues me. I would be so playing with it. Like, uh, I'd be watching this, handing that to see what happened. Right? I mean, can you imagine being the disciples? You are hands on. And you are going, here's one, whoa! Here's one, whoa! I mean, every moment of it is making you realize I brought my littleness to the table and you showed up. Oh, Jesus is so cool. In verse 21, those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides the women and children. Most likely 15, 20,000 people at this event. I'm going to keep going because the text keeps going. Verse 22, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat. In other words, it's already late at night because even feeding 20,000 people, even doing it miraculously, doesn't take 15 minutes. And so it's later in the evening 
Uh, it's time for them to go to the other side uh, while he dismisses the crowds. That's just intriguing to me personally. That's cool. Verse 23, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. He's back to his original plan. He went to withdraw to be with the Father. Now he got it. Change in plan. Disciples are out on the Sea of Galilee. When evening came, he was there alone, verse 24, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land. The way the text is, they're probably halfway, maybe two-thirds of the way at the farthest, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And on the fourth watch of the night, fourth watch, that'd be 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So let's just imagine, let's give the benefit of the doubt. Let's say they left at 10 p.m. at night. Okay? It was daylight savings time, so it was lighter in the evening. They leave, they leave at 10 p.m. at night, and they are not even all the way across the Sea of Galilee, by the way. You can see all the way across on a clear day. So it's not a sea. It's really, in our terminology, it's the lake. And so in this, you can see all the way across. But they're halfway. So, by the way, men in that boat are professional fishermen who grew up in the area on that water. And, and so here they are, 10 o'clock at night, and at best it's 3 in the morning. How many hours is that? Five hours? Do I have my math right? Five hours, and they're halfway across. I'm telling you, what was the conversation in that boat? When you got 12 guys honked off in the waves, middle of the night, tired. Women, would you agree you don't want to be in that boat? <laughs> and they are flabbergasted. And it's just beginning, verse 26. But when the disciples saw him, uh, so at the fourth night, uh, he came to them walking on the sea. They probably thought, we'll get in a boat, go across. Jesus will get another boat and go across. No, no, but you gotta understand, Jesus doesn't need a boat. He just walked. Hey, who owns physics? The one who created it all does. By the way, that's a big deal. I could still get off track here. So I won't. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. It's 3 a.m. in the morning. They're frustrated, irritated. I probably would be dick too. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. How sweet. I just want to say this. Jesus loves his disciples. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. (laughs) Plus Peter's heart. Now, Peter kind of gets this uh, thing that oftentimes Peter is this out-of-control mouth guy who just comes up with these crazy, but I'm actually going to push back on that one here. Because there's more time I've spent in coming over the years to understand how it worked back in that day. A disciple following their rabbi, following their teacher, whatever the teacher did, the normal thing was then for the disciple, the follower, to then do the exact same thing. So here Jesus is walking around. I actually now, as I look at this text, I think Peter is the one that had it right. Peter wasn't thinking like, I want to walk on water too. Peter's actually in the mind of a disciple as it truly was then, and by the way, should be now. Whatever the master does, I'll do that. And I think Peter saw Jesus walking on the water, and so what does a disciple do? You get up and do exactly what the master does. 
And so Peter uh, says, uh, can I come to you too? And Jesus said, come. How cool. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. Wow. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and pushed him down in the water because he was so irritated with him. <laughs> Don't we think that's what Jesus is going to do sometimes? He took his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, a loving statement, Oh, Peter, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. By the way, Jesus didn't even have to speak this time to stop the wind. At least that's what it seems. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as who touched it were made well. What a mind-blowing chapter. What a contrast. King Herod in all his clan is about taking life, taking life, taking life. And then here we see Jesus essentially giving life. Let me talk about this kingdom compassion idea. I'm saying kingdom because I'm pulling off of chapter 13 and this kingdom of heaven idea, kingdom uh, Kingdom compassion. Number one, I, I think as Christians, we have a tendency to think of slotting compassion into time frames, having moments of compassion. Like you, back there, that was a moment of compassion, and Lord, thanks for that, and that's awesome, that's fantastic. I also think that we as uh, believers, and we even as churches, uh, have a tendency to program compassion. You know, you know how it is today. You know, you gotta, you know, everybody waits for the church to put something together, like, like, what's your compassion program? I would love to be able just to say, our people. Boom. Our people. And, and churches, you know, so often they, they, they get this, well, we have a compassion program, and then you got to name it, brand it, sell it, you know, the whole thing. And yet here, uh, Jesus, it's just a way of life. It's just who he is. And that presses into me. How can we grow in this area? Three, three aspects here as we kind of pull it towards a conclusion. How can we grow as kingdom of heaven living, kingdom compassion giving people and persons? Number one. I think it begins with seeing. Kingdom compassion sees. It sees. In other words, it notices. It's about this whole thing of this being actively aware of situations, the, ping, the people, and, and kingdom opportunities around you. Are we walking around, oh, so let me just say it this way, more walking around, doing life, seeing opportunities before us for God's glory and for the fame of Jesus. More opportunities are before us all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. We don't have to program anything if we just would be it. And it starts with us just having eyes that see. 
And, and kind of like Herod, this little kings, we, get to be, we become kings and queens of our own little kingdoms, and there's so many things for us to do and me to do and you to do. And, we're, and then, by the way, when it comes to compassion, we're great at, at, at being irritated by other people, and they're non-compassion to you or me. But, but are we going with looking eyes, with kingdom of heaven eyes, Aware of we are by God's sovereign work going to be placed before and in front of situations and opportunities of life at work, at home, at school, in our communities, at church, in your, with your family at home. There are kingdom opportunities all around nonstop. And I think the part of it is, is we have lost eyes that see it. And it starts there. May we just grow in being more aware with kingdom compassion's eyes that see. Secondly, out after seeing, it's kingdom compassion connects. It, it takes that not only as I see something going on, I just, if I, if we, would just take the time to think and process, even do exercises of experiments with ourselves, of, okay, this situation just happened, uh, what are biblical truths that carry into this? Maybe other words for that. What are kingdom truths that carry into this? What are redemptive truths that carry into this? Well, yeah, what would Jesus do in this? What if we just were to see something and then just run exercises in our mind? I'm not even saying do anything right at the moment. I'm just saying have eyes and hearts that are more aware of and thinking of. What, I just go, what, 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 what would happen if we were more of that, right? Oh, please, right? Okay. Um, I know it would be good for me. And then in that, as we see and connect, and then we enter into it. Kingdom compassion that enters. It sees, it connects, and it enters. Listen, you and I can't do everything all the time around. We do have things that we have to do. And that's okay. And sometimes it's even wisdom on knowing what I can't do right now. Maybe it's connecting someone else, or maybe the most wise thing that I can do to share compassion is a word of encouragement or just pray my soul out for the situation right now and those persons or people. Oh God, do a work. By the way, the kind of compassion, kingdom of compassion that enters is both actions and words. Let me, just in the last few minutes here, let me show you some examples out of the text of seeing and connecting and entering by Jesus. I'm gonna highlight some things on the screen. The first one, Jesus and kingdom compassion with the great crowd. I mean, the fact is, is he sees the crowd, and then in that, we know that he has the opportunity to make a decision to have a bad attitude or a, good at, or a kingdom compassion attitude. Now, one of the blessings is Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, and yet at the same time, he also experienced what it was like. And so in it, in that, in, in, what's the result of that? He, he sees things, he, he connects them, and he steps into them. In that situation, he heals them, verse 14, and verse 20, he feeds. This is so cool. He didn't plan it, he didn't schedule it, there wasn't a church program for it. It just happened. Another is, I think, Jesus and the kingdom of compassion with the disciples. By the way, they're all words, 
all the words of the chapter. Uh, he challenges them, verse 16, with the guys. Listen, he doesn't make it easy on them. Compassion doesn't mean make it easy all the time. Compassion means what's the best thing or the opportunity for the kingdom of God to do a work in this situation. And for the disciples, uh, it was, he was pushing them at times. Wait, they don't need to go away. Stop, 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 stop. Let me stop your thinking right now to them. And then he engages them. You give them something to eat, verse 16. <laughs> and then, verse 18, bring the fish and loaves to me. He even enters in and engages in. And then Jesus also, we see in the text, verse 27, he encourages. Take heart. I know you're scared. I know you think I'm a ghost. Too many Twilight Zone movies, guys. It's me. Don't fear. And in that also, just the fact he encourages them with his words, verse 29, to come. Peter, don't hop in, hop on the water. So cool. And then, by the way, part of his kingdom of compassion with the disciples is questioning them, pushing them. Verse 31, oh, you of little faith, Peter, 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 Peter. Peter, why did you doubt? By the way, I don't think Jesus is smacking him down to size. I think Jesus is actually helping Peter. Peter, let, let, me, let, me, let me, right in this moment, let me show you what the problem is. Problem actually is, you don't think I'm big enough. The wind and the waves are bigger than I am right now, Peter. We'll work on it, Peter. We're gonna work on it. And by the way, the end, Jesus and kingdom compassion of the people of uh, Gennesaret. Um, verse 36, Gennesaret. And many as touched it were made well. He sees the people, he steps into it. Man. Herod took life, Jesus gave life. Herod took from others for himself, Jesus gave himself for others. Herod lived for the kingdom of this world. Jesus was living for the kingdom of heaven. More Jesus in us, less Herod in us. Amen? Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be in this wonderful text together. You, you are blowing minds. You are showing them who you are and turning lives upside down and inside out in so many ways. And, and yet, there I just see in this chapter this element of, of li life-lived kingdom compassion. You're being the example for us. And God, you know us. We're, we are like squirrels. We're in and out, we're quick and fast, and we're running from shiny thing to shiny thing. And Father, I just ask that the Spirit of God would, would do a work on us, even this week. Just this week, God, that we might work on the discipline, on the activity of, the attribute of being people that are even just more aware of what's around us. And even in that, as we're seeing that we would be connecting and thinking and considering and, and just trying to see how we can think in areas maybe we need to grow in our understanding of what might be done. And God, on some of those, would you just give us the ability, the wisdom, and the power to step into those situations and to enter into some of those and in the kind of ways that is not easiest for us, that is not the most beneficial for us, but, but is most glorifying to you is most fame-giving to the name of Christ.
is the most loving and kind and kingdom compassion-oriented kind of action. Give us wisdom, God. We need the help. Might we model you increasingly so as kingdom compassion givers. In your name, amen.